invite you to turn with your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six. And I want to read the verses nine through to the end of verse twenty. One Corinthians six, beginning to read the verse nine, hear the word of God with me. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All (coughs) things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All... All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in the body and in your spirit, which are God's. Then I invite you to turn also with me in the back of your uh, Trinity Psalter hymnal to page 192. Lord's Day 41, question and answer 108 and 109. Lord's Day 41, page 892, question and answer 108 and 109. And I remind you that this is your confession of faith as it is mine. So, congregation, what is God's will for us in the seventh commandment? That God condemns all unchastity, and that we should therefore detest it wholeheartedly and live decent and chaste lives within or outside of the holy state of marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery? We are temples of the Holy Spirit, body and soul, And God wants both to be kept clean and holy. That is why God forbids all unchaste actions, looks, talks, thoughts, or desires, and whatever may incite someone to them. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word and the summary of that word, as we found it in the creeds and confessions of the church, may God once again add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word this afternoon. 
beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ gathered here in Bowmanville with me this afternoon. If you have your finger on the pulse of the world in which we live, you will have noticed that the world has changed and continues to change. The former bedrock of strong family and high moral values, coupled with an innate respect for authority at all levels of societal life, has been discarded and replaced by what has been identified by psychologists as a personal liberation ideology. This strange and erroneous ideology extols singlehood, attacks traditional family values, teaches that moral values are a matter of personal choice, personal preference, and personal interpretation. The focus now is on the personal, especially personal sexual gratification, personal drug-altered consciousness, personal moral philosophies, personal awareness psychology, and personal self-esteem. Our culture is committed to birth control instead of self-control. Our land and our government uh, 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 sanctions and promotes abortion, not only as birth control, but also as a method of controlling the consequences of instant personal sexual gratification. War has been declared on traditional and biblical morals and values. The result of this ideology so eagerly absorbed by confused adolescent population and passionately promoted and propagated by professional gurus, especially in the institutions of higher learning, has been that the collective mindset of our generation has adopted as its common denominator or motto, if you will, all that I feel to be right is right. Whatever I feel to be wrong is wrong. In this new scheme of things, there is no longer any absolute right or absolute wrong behavior. It's only wrong if I personally believe it to be wrong. As individuals, as families, and even as churches, we become lost in a forest of relativism. And on, the, on, on no front has this attack been more successful than in the area of human sexuality. Sex education is legion. It's being carried out by the home, the state, the school, and countless organizations who are accountable to no one. You cannot walk into a public waiting room without being confronted with pamphlets about sex education or at least places and phone numbers where it can be had. However, sex education in accordance with God's word as truth has all but been abandoned and can no longer be found in the public arena. Rather than teaching our children to lead chaste sex lives, the call is to practice safe, safe sex lives. The only concern now is protection from physical disease which may cause death. And what is ignored is the necessary protection from spiritual disease leading to an eternal death. We have indeed become lost in a forest, however. Praise be to God. We have a compass to show us the way home. It is good that the catechism, following the leading of our Bibles, will teach us this afternoon how we are to live pure and chaste lives, not only as young people, not only as single people, but the admonition is also for us as married people to live decent and a chaste life.
even within a marriage. I want to minister God's word to you this afternoon using as my theme, leading chaste lives. Leading chaste lives. You want to learn, first of all, the chaste marriage as ordained by God. We will define that. Then secondly, we will identify the sin forbidden by God in this commandment. And then finally, we want to hear of our obligation in relation to this commandment. So leading chaste lives, the marriage as ordained by God, the sin forbidden, and the obligation required. Congregation, the bond between a man and a woman in one flesh is an ordination instituted by God, by God himself. In his divine eternal decree, God had determined to create one man and one woman, namely Adam and Eve, and he united them in an indissoluble bond to one flesh and instructed them to be fruitful, to multiply, and to subdue the earth. God first created Adam, appointed him as the head of the woman, in order that he would lead her, instruct her, comfort her, protect her, following the example of Christ as head of his bride, the church, the congregation. However, just as the husband has holy obligations toward his bride, no less also the woman has obligations and responsibilities to her husband. She is called to remember that she was created to be his helpmeet. She is commanded to love him, honor him, obey him, cherish him, and to obey him in all things lawful. In other words, God has ordained man and woman to be united in one flesh in order that they would be of a blessing to one another. And I remind you that God did not institute marriage after or as a result of the fall. It was part of his predetermined decree and was instituted prior to the fall as an ordained norm for a holy relationship between men and women and as a foundation for the Christian home. It's true, of course, that not everyone will marry, and God did not intend that all would marry. And although the marriage state is holy in and of itself, it is no holier than a state of single celibate living. In both situations, married and unmarried, God calls us to live holy and chaste lives. And that is what the Catechism wants us to know this afternoon in this Lord's Day. We are reminded also that those who do desire to marry may do so only in the Lord. As the Apostle Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 7 and 2 Corinthians 6, we are, we are clearly forbidden from being yoked to unbelievers. And even within the church, that command of God has not always been taken as seriously as is warranted. Oftentimes, Christians willfully, sinfully choose to marry whom they want rather than marrying the person chosen for them by the Lord. Sometimes we will even hear it suggested, the ludicrous suggestion, that a certain mixed marriage would, could well be God's way and even his will for bringing an unbeliever to the faith. We don't want to deny that God can and sometimes does work that way. <coughs> However, as I would constantly tell my senior catechumens, to suggest that it is God's will to marry someone not of the Christian faith when the scripture specifically forbids it, is tantamount to heresy. That would never, could never be true. God's spirit never leads us to do things clearly forbidden in scripture. That is our own sinful, fallen spirit. It is not the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
But going back to our text in Corinthians, we read that Paul says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And these words are then immediately followed in context with, This is a great mystery, but I speak of Christ and the church. Obviously, then, the apostle sees earthly marriage as an image, or if you will, a reflection of the relationship between Christ and the church. When Christ lives in the souls of partners of a marriage, and when that marriage is in the Lord and sanctified by Christ, then we must see in that marriage the same kind of a relationship between husband and wife as is taught us in the relationship between Christ and the church. See, first of all, in this imagery, Christ in his kingly office as head of the church. In the same way, the man is the head of the woman. And Christ, of course, does not rule his church as a dictator, but in love. And so in the same way, a husband is called to lovingly govern and lead his wife. Notice also Christ in his priestly office. Just as Christ loves his church and gave up his life for her, in the same way husbands are commanded to love their wives in a self-sacrificing fashion. You know, we hear so much about this headship principle and how so many women find it offensive. And I used to say to my catechism, my senior catechism kids, I used to say to the boys, you know, if your wife sees in you that you so love her, that you will be willing to lay down your life for her, that whole headship thing falls away. Then finally we see also the prophetic office. Just as Christ, as a prophet, instructs his bride, the husband is commanded to instruct and to teach his bride. People of God, marriage was ordained and instituted by God in his divine eternal decree. It was blessed by Christ in the New Testament, and it has been modeled after the love relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. And where such marriages solemnized in the Lord strive to honor God in that fashion, there can be, there may be no strife about equal rights or gender roles. According to the scriptures then, where there is a serious discussion, disagreement, and tensions in marriage with respect to gender rights or gender roles or headship, it can only be, hear me well, it can only be because either the Bible has not yet been consulted or submission to the word of God is sinfully rejected. It can be nothing else. The commandment reads, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's what is specifically being addressed in this Lord's Day. However, the catechism defines it in much more general terms. It speaks, first of all, of the condemnation of all unchastity, be that as single or married people. In other words, adultery, not only the specific act, but also its cause, effect, and related principles is condemned. God condemns all unchastity. But what does that mean? Well, first of all, obviously God condemns adultery. Adultery, properly defined, encompasses any and all sexual relations outside of marriage. Therefore, also the words in our catechism, God condemns unchastity in and outside of marriage. Obviously, we're not only addressing married people. God's word here is also intended as a warning for young and not-so-young single people. People of God, our Lord has created men and women with a deep, innate, physical attraction for persons of the opposite sex. 
And that in itself is not wrong. It is in fact good and beautiful. However, what is often forgotten is that also that attribute, that desire in mankind has become distorted by sin, by the fall. What was given by God as a great and beautiful gift to man in order to attract one man to one woman has now been so distorted by sin that attractions are experienced towards others who are not ours to possess. Sometimes again, because of our sinful nature, this attraction can even be to persons of the same gender. And all of these attractions are condemned by God and must be condemned by the Christian. As single people, God forbids us from desiring someone's, someone who is not a Christian. And as a married people, God forbids us from desiring anyone other than our own spouse. And married or single, God forbids us from desiring someone of the same sex. But there's more. While God condemns adultery in this commandment, he also condemns every sin which contributes to adultery which influences it or sets the stage for it. To use the language of the catechism, God forbids anything which incites unchastity, whether it be actions, looks, talks, thoughts, or desire. I hasten to say, had the catechism been written today, undoubtedly the authors would have included the modern scourge of internet pornography. Congregation, this commandment speaks to all people. It urges all to live chaste and pure lives. So often we hear the commandment on Sunday. We hear it every Sunday. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's fine. That's not me. I don't commit adultery. We do. It means means that those who belong to Christ must evidence that in holy living. Also in the area of holy, sanctified, sexual living. We are to detest and to flee from things such as impure thoughts, desires, and words. We are to passionately hate and avoid trashy books, magazines, suggestive music. We are to shun as the plague any sexually explicit movies, internet sites, videos, and television programs. Congregation, our society is drowning in a sea of perversity. The danger exists that it it becomes so commonplace that we become desensitized to it. People of God, it may not be so among us. We are to recognize the sin. We are to hate it. We are to flee from it. We are to condemn it. We are to be pure and holy. We are to be holy as God is holy. Young people, I, I need to speak to you as well. The world tells you that it's up to you to make responsible personal decisions you are surrounded you live in and you are surrounded by a world that would have you believe that if you love your dating partner and if you are committed to each other safe sex is not necessarily wrong for you personally Satan wants you to believe that but God's word speaks radically different the Bible condemns clearly premarital sex and in fact the Bible clearly tells us that if you as a young single person are sexually active, then heaven's portals are closed to you unless and until you repent of that sin. I can't make it any more clear. 
The Bible is so very clear. Despite what the world wants you to believe, Satan wants you to believe that it's a victimless crime. But don't you believe him? Your tryst may be enjoyable now, but ultimately you are the victim, perhaps eternally, unless you repent and amend your ways. The same is true of pornography. It is, if it is your practice to engage in such vileness, remember God's warning. Did we not hear God tell us in the scripture passage that we read that there was no place, there was no place in the kingdom of God for fornicators and sexually impure people? That's not my opinion. That's the clear teaching of the very word of God. Congregation, capture with me again the horrible consequences of the fall in paradise. God did not create us this way. No. We know from scripture that originally our sexual desires were pure and holy, but as consequence of the fall, those desires have now become evil lusts of our fallen flesh, which must be resisted. For some people that is undoubtedly more difficult than for others, but for all of us, one thing is true. We cannot do it on our own. The Holy Spirit of God is required to renew our hearts and to change our lives. How? Well, follow with me. The Catechism says we must detest all unchastity from the heart. That's an important clue and concept. The control of the body begins with the condition of the heart. If our hearts belong to Christ then we will know how to fight against and overcome our sexual sins. The child of God knows, as the baptism form puts it, that even though we still will fall into sin, we may not despair of it, but neither may we remain in it. And as we mature and understand our weakness, we must more and more devote ourselves to seeking the Lord's help, to seeking his strength, to seek his promised forgiveness upon a confession of our sin and his assistance in our struggle against it. The Catechism further says we are to detest unchastity within and outside of marriage. These are important words, and I want to reflect on them for just a few moments. A chaste life is a sexually pure life. Or if you will, a chaste life is a disciplined life. In other words, what is required of us is that we train and discipline ourselves to live a life that pleases God, also in the area of human sexual morality. Congregation, young and old, according to the Bible, it is a natural thing for men and women to commit adultery. For that is the sinful condition and inclination of the heart of the natural man who as a result of sin has lost the excellence, the excellent gift of God's image. And that's also what our culture wants us to know. We and especially our children are taught that there are no absolute rights or wrongs, remember? So do what comes naturally for you personally. But those who belong to Christ they know different. They know that there is a truth, God's truth, in Jesus Christ, who has freed us from the sinful desires of the flesh and now requires from us a walk of life 
that is radically different from that of the world. Parents, hear me well. The training of our children in these matters needs to begin already in early childhood, and it needs to be done in the home. I cannot emphasize that sufficiently. As Christian parents, we are to instruct our children. We are to lead by our example. Sexuality can be confusing for children, especially because of the mixed signals they are receiving in our culture. It is a tragic reality that for the most part, sex education is being carried out by the state and by the schools, even, I shudder to say, even by quote-unquote Christian schools. And it is so because parents, even Christian parents, have abdicated their own responsibility in the home. People of God, I plead with you, I urge you, I beg of you to tenaciously with bulldog teeth hold onto and fulfill your obligation to train your children in these matters, all the more so since the world is determined to have them follow the leading of that personal choice rather than God's norms. It is first, last, and only your responsibility as parents before God to teach your sons and your daughters that the only safe sex is sex that conforms to God's holy law. One man, one woman within the context of a marriage in the Lord. The catechism continues. Chase lives also within marriage. And although the commandment forbids adultery, more is implied here. Also within marriage, our sexual relationship with our spouse must glorify God. Seems incredible, doesn't it? If I may say it this way, as husbands and wives, we should not be uncomfortable knowing that the Lord is present with us in our bedrooms. That is the direction of the catechism when it points us to 1 Corinthians seven nineteen, where husband and wife are not to refuse each other lest Satan tempt you through lack of self-control. In marriage, we are not to be concerned about our own personal needs and desires, first of all, but we are to strive to build an intimate relationship which leads to peace between marriage partners and so glorifies God, even in the bedroom. The absence of such a relationship can contribute to the shipwreck of marriage and can lead to adultery, and that as we heard earlier, is condemned by God. People of God, when every Sunday we hear God saying, thou shalt not commit adultery, the Lord is asking of us as married people, do you allow and nurture a healthy sexual atmosphere in your marriage? Do you as husband and wife communicate in these matters and consider each other in love? Also within marriage, there is a need for self-discipline. And, says the catechism, we are to lead chaste lives outside of marriage. It's an undeniable fact that sexual intercourse outside of marriage is forbidden by the Lord. Here the catechism directs us to 1 Thessalonians 4, where the Apostle Paul teaches us of Christian courtship. Unmarried people may certainly show each other affection. However, also here we are instructed to exercise self-discipline and self-control. Christian courtship and dating calls us to fight, to control forbidden desires, to res- and to respect the integrity of each other, but also to fight to maintain God's honor. 
What is implied here, young people, is that you seriously consider not only the company you keep, but also and especially in your dating practices. You are to honor God. You are to date only those who will help you on your road to God. You are to seek entertainment which glorifies God and enriches your faith. Young people, consider all of this so very seriously. Whom do you date? Where do you go? What do you do? In what kind of an atmosphere? Would you be uncomfortable if I told you that the Lord was there with you, watching you? When you were out with your boyfriend or your girlfriend on a Saturday night, would it make you uncomfortable if you thought that God was watching and listening? I have news for you. He is. Ask yourself now, in all of your dating and modes of entertainment, what do you do with or to your partner? And is what you do pleasing only to the both of you, or is it pleasing to God? Congregation, the world sees and promotes human sexuality from a radically different perspective, and that ought not to surprise us. Does not the Bible teach us that there are only two kinds of people in the world and that they are radically different from each other? On the one hand, we have the world seeking to destroy God's people, urge them to follow the personal desires of the sinful flesh. On the other hand, we hear God's command to walk according to the Spirit. And on no terrain on this earth are Satan's attempts to undermine God's word more intense than in the area of human sexuality. On no sin has God's wrath been more severe than it has in condemnation of ungodly moral behavior. This is one of the most difficult areas of our lives. Here is so much sin, so much failure. But here is also so much forgiveness if we flee to Christ and to the cross. God's law says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Why not? Because the same law says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You are mine, says Christ. You are mine, body and soul. So glorify God also in your body.